This is Cody Robbins from Live to Hunt with Cody and Kelsey, and you're listening to Joby and Shed with the Foshi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on Foshi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on the Foshi Creek Podcast. It's not as good to speak the language, but it's close. <laughs> You're listening to the Foshi Creek Podcast. I'm Joby Holland. With me is Mr. Shed Whitaker of Mossy Oak. Today's episode, we have Mr. James Harrison with us from Harrison Custom Calls. James is also affiliated with Hooks Custom Calls, as well as Dr. Grant Woods of Growing Deer TV. James is also the developer and maker of the Harrison Hootin' Stick, uh, the Harrison Crow Call, and the Harrison Owl Screamer, and the Messenger Grunt Call. Basically, in general, he pretty well calls like nobody's business, and I've, I do have some of James's calls, and they're they sound incredible. I mean, especially when James calls them versus when I call them, but they're also works of art. Some of the most beautiful calls that really from a, just a craftsman. And I would consider James a craftsman. Some of James accomplishments, I'm sure I don't have them all here, but 2009 NWTF hunting calls, rookie call maker of the year, five time NWTF locator call maker of the year, three time mid America open champion, 2011 and 12 national calling champion, 2009, 2010, 2014, 15, 16, Grand National Owl Hooting Champion, 2008 and 2009, two-man uh, world turkey calling champion. And I don't know this to be true, but I bet this has to be one of his favorite, and that was 2014, two-man Grand National team calling champion with his son, Cody. That has to rank up there awful good. And I'm sure you've had more since then. The list probably goes on, and if you want to want to add anything to that. But James, we're just tickled to death to have you here and. Since we started a podcast, or actually was writing on napkins about a podcast and kind of what we wanted to do, James Harrison was on the top of my list for a lot of reasons. Obviously, some out there who are experts in calling and call making, but I think the thing that separates you is just not saying this because we're on here. I think it's just fact that you're just a genuinely heck of a good guy, probably one of the most modest, God-fearing individuals a person meets. And, you know, we all meet people, and we know right off the bat, what we think of them, whether a good person or not quite so good. And when you meet you, you know, without question, James Harrison's a good guy. And then when you like turkey hunting and, and hunting in general, here's a guy that's awful good guy who also knows a heck of a lot that a person can learn from. So, James, thank you for being here. Hey, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the kind words, man. I, I really do. I'm uh, honored to be on here with you guys and uh, talk a little shop. Yes, sir. Jed, anything you want to... What's going on in your world? Anything you want to add before we jump in and get started? I probably just need some lessons. I, I've turkey hunted a little bit the last couple of weeks, in the, or well, last week, and uh, when we're not getting tornadoes. Both of you have hunted Florida so far, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Florida for me was it was took about 20 minutes. It was pretty easy, but since then, it's uh, been pretty tough. But that's Mississippi, and then we've had just terrible weather. Whether it's wind, tornadoes, it goes from like today's 80 degrees. Yesterday it was tornadoes and thunderstorms. So any help I can get from from somebody that's as knowledgeable as Mr. Harrison, I'm down to listen to for sure. Well, James, give us a little background of who the heck James Harrison is and kind of who and what got you into the outdoors. Uh, You, You can be as comprehensive as you want to be here. You can go back to birth, actually, if you want to. Uh, I'm awful old, dude, so you'd be here a long time if I'm going back to birth. <laughs> I, I'm really simple. I grew up and was raised in Hillsborough, Missouri, home of uh, Ray I and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, grew up in a rural area out on a farm. Pretty much started, you know, just hunting and fishing. You know, the family all hunted and fished, so that's what we did. Went to my, you know, went to my first turkey calling contest probably when I was like 10 down in Piedmont, Missouri. So, and uh, I thought that was just you know, that was the first time I'd ever been around turkey hunting, really, to speak of. And I was just amazed that people made noises with their mouth and they gave them <laughs> prizes. I was like, what in the world? And at the time, you're, you know, you're a kid. You're like, wow, they got free camouflage and they got guns and they got all this stuff. And I was just, like, amazed. I was just, I was like, that was the craziest thing I've ever seen, which we all grew up playing baseball and basketball and stuff like that. And, you know, we knew the sports and stuff. But turkey calling and then I was like, man, that's doing something outdoors. I could make every animal noise pretty much with my voice when I was a kid anyway, because when you're a kid living out in the middle of nowhere, you just learn to entertain yourself, so so to speak, you know. 
but it, it was kind of that was where i started i just in hillsboro and I, I still live in hillsboro so i've been here my whole life uh married my wife of 28 years Rhonda harrison she's a teacher in hillsboro so uh, i'm pretty much stuck in hillsboro i think i don't think i'm gonna <laughs> venture very far outside of it now <laughs> well i tell you your boys and I, I know you got carter and cody is there do you have more children or just carter and cody Lord, no. Two's enough, and I'll give you one of them if you want it. <laughs> well, I tell you what, you know, I, I said earlier, you know, what a what a good gentleman you are and easy to talk to and take time with people, and that's things people notice. And you also see things about a person when you meet your kids sometimes. I know uh, Cody works worked there at Dunn Sporting Goods, and, you know, one of the first times I was in there, just as far as a nice, accommodating didn't matter if there's a thousand people in the store take your time with you, talk about hunting or whatever you're needing. Yes, sir. No, sir. One of the most polite individuals. And so you've you've uh, extended it on as far as how you raise your kids. It's evident, and I'm not the only one that uh, that thinks that of your boys. So you, you've done real well there, and you got to be proud of them. And I'm sure being able to call and competitions with them and see them carry on the same passions that you have has to be awful rewarding as well. Oh, it is, and uh. Cody started out, you know, calling. He won the Missouri State Junior Championship several years, and then uh, he he moved up and won the uh, Grand National Internet Intermediate Championship and uh, stuff like that. And then me and him hooked up and uh, won the Grand National two man teams. We won the World two man teams together, stuff like that. And then Carter, now he works at Dunn's also, so he's coming up too. He's working at Dunn's also, and uh, he's not my turkey call guy as far as competition, but he's my woodshop guy. Cody, Cody can call and do all the, you know, contest stuff with me and everything. And then Carter, he's my wood guy. He's the guy that's up in the shop helping me with the wood. That stuff really interests him and he likes it. So he's all the time helping me behind the scenes. And he can call good too. Carter's one of the Missouri State juniors and stuff like that. But Carter's not into the calling aspect as much as he is just uh, making the calls and hanging out. So he, he likes – so it's kind of neat. I got two boys and – uh. Both of them are totally on different spectrums, but they both do great at what they do. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm proud of both of them and tickled to death for them. Yes, sir. Now, what the the woodworking aspect of it? How'd you get started with that? How'd that kind of evolve for you? Well, I, I'll back up a little bit to the turkey calling contest. I started probably in like 1985. I went to a contest. That's telling my age, but uh, that's when I went to the first contest. I seen them guys, you know, doing stuff. So I wanted to start. So I started calling the next year and what they actually had was a wing bone division and i was did that so back in the day my family all used wing bones and like an old lynch box stall so i kind of just piddled around with that stuff and then from there i started going to more contests more contests fast forward you know i was uh hooting with my natural voice a lot and i was i was doing really good my like my juniors and my amateur years i was i was unstoppable i was like i was a terror i loved it I got to the open division, and you was with Walter Parrott, Chris Parrish, Mark Jury, Jeff Probst. I can name them all because they're all ingrained in my brain. Uh, and I and I got I got whipped for about four or five years straight. I mean, it was it was a nonstop beating. But I kept going because I knew, you know, if you're calling against the best of the best, you're only going to get better. So I just had a passion for it. So I kept calling. Well, same way with the owl hooting. I started out hooting all the time. I won a lot of competitions out hooting Mid-America Open. You know, I'd won the North American Championships, stuff like that, all with natural voice. And then Dale Palmer, which I knew Dale real good, he came out with his Palmer hoot tube. He got the thing so good, you just couldn't beat him. A natural voice guy could not beat him with his call. And I told him, I said, dude, I'm going to build a call, and I'm going to whip you with it. And it was more or less just a joke. We were just running joke. And he's like, yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no. I'm going to do it. So I said, I'm going to beat you. And uh, so we got messing around. So that kind of embarked my adventure as far as building an owl hooter. And I had literally, I'm a machinist by trade. So I work with my hands all the time making stuff. So I had four years in design and development of the owl hooter that I have now. But I mean, I, I mean, when I say four years, that is literally tons of prototypes, tons of stuff. I knew how to make turkey calls, like mouth calls and stuff like that for contests, but owl hooters were something totally new to me because I always used my natural voice. So I had to start at ground level and go up. And I'm telling you, I probably filled up trash cans full of prototypes that did not sound like no owls. But 
And as it was, then the owl hooting went in, and I got a couple that I liked, went to some contests, won some contests with them and stuff like that. Actually showed my final design to, to Dale Palmer, let him look at it, and he, he loved it. He's like, man, that thing's great. I'm like, well, I'm glad you like it, so that's what I want to go with. And uh, I kept running it, and from there I realized I could make that for other people, and guys could run, you know, run owl hooters because at the time all you could get was store-bought really i mean you could get a few custom calls but not a lot so i just started building the owl hooters and uh started out i was building them out of broomsticks when i was at work we'd have an old broom that's laying around that had been wore down to nothing i was cutting the handles off of them and making owl hooters out of broomsticks so and then from there i kind of the sound has always been my main goal i don't care what it looks like i just want it to sound like an owl sitting right on your shoulder when you're calling or i mean i want it to sound as realistic as possible then from there came into hey let's make it out of something pretty or let's do this or go from there well once you get bit by that exotic woods and all the custom stuff it's 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 in your blood then so it's just kind of snowballed into a passion that's it's my passion for call buildings overcame my passion for turkey calling i'd rather if i'd rather build five calls for guys then go to a calling contest nowadays i just love it you know that's a, the first and it, and they are and shit i'm gonna i'll send you some pictures later some of his and uh first time i heard the word spalted maple that means a lot to you doesn't it uh oh James? yes yes sir <laughs> <laughs> i know a lot of varieties of uh, but the spalted maple i've not heard of but i know it now because of james and just some some of those calls and yeah the sound's incredible the look and beauty i mean like i say if I didn't enjoy hunting and would use a call for that, I did, I'd have them in my house on a, on a mantle and nothing else just because how pretty they are. And some of those, you, I guess all kinds of materials, not just wood, but some acrylic types. What else do you, materials do you use making out hooters? I've, I've literally used about everything. I've, uh, I've made them out of aluminum, out of brass. I've made them out of copper, bars of metals. I do all acrylics. I've uh, did stag horns, elk horns. Uh, all the exotic woods i did them out of uh african horns like gimsbach horns and stuff like that so i mean i've used if i can get an owl hooter i'll make it out of or i'll try anyway you know <laughs> and i've gotten where i've glued you know i'll do a lot of segment stuff and glue stuff up and if somebody's got like i'm doing a project now uh guys down in kentucky's got a bunch of old tobacco sticks that they used in their tobacco barns for five generations and when they break them they just throw them in the corner well i've been telling them man save everyone and farm me because them things have got a history that is you know you're looking at five generations of wood sitting there that somebody's great 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 granddad cut to hang tobacco on so i'm taking those calls and actually jointing the sides of them cleaning them up gluing them all together and making uh tobacco stick out hooters and crow calls and stuff out of them so if there's a story behind it i like it a lot better you know mm -hmm. just for the personal personal aspect of it but uh i love it all i mean guys ask me all the time hey what's your favorite wood to work with and i really don't have a favorite because everyone is phenomenal me i i mean if it's a simple poplar or it's a snake wood whatever i, I enjoy all of them so now tell, tell what, us what are you calling a snake wood uh snake wood is uh that comes from south america down there and Suriname, and it is it actually the wood of it's a darker wood and it has a black pattern like a snake on it almost so it's a uh, they call it snake wood like that very hard wood uh cracks real easy so you got to be really easy with it when you're working in a very expensive wood a lot of that stuff for like a inch and a half square block that would be 12 inches long to make an owl hooter and a crow call out of you're probably going to have a hundred dollars just in that stick of wood before i even start touching it so it's it's an expensive some of that stuff's expensive now, James, what else? I kind of mentioned some earlier, and you mentioned the crow call, but out in your shop, you do crow calls, and now you got your owl screamer as well. You want to tell us about some other calls that you're that you're currently making and working on? Yeah, I do the full line. I'm, I try to be like locator, you know, all locator stuff. So I'm doing the owl hooter, the owl screamer. The screamer's new for this year, and uh, the concept behind the screamer was I wanted it for competition guys. I've had guys for years been asking me, hey, I want an owl screamer for a contest because owls will get out there and they'll... <laughs> so I wanted to be able to do that with a call that guys could use. And um, 
there were a few guys trying to build them, but I wanted something that was as close to realistic as possible. So I sat down for the last few years working on that. So that came out this year. So that's been, it's been amazing. Guys have been going crazy about it. And, you know, high-pitched noises, turkeys are going to gobble at it. So it works great for locating and competition calling. Then I got the crow call, of course, which I've had out for a while. And then uh, I do a deer grunter and uh, working on stuff like that. I've been uh, fiddling with I'm. I'm infatuated. I love building duck calls. I don't duck hunt a lot because I'm always in the tree stand shooting a deer, but I love building duck calls. So I've been working on molding my own inserts and cutting my own inserts. It's kind of like a love-hate relationship because I can throw a lot of duck calls in the trash and uh, I, I just have a ball with it. So, <laughs> And, you know, I, I mess with the coyote howler a little bit now and again. So pretty much anything. You know, I was down in Florida this past week and I was messing with the alligators, and I said, man, I need to make an alligator call. So I said, that little, <laughs> and things were coming right up and everything else. I'm like, that would be interesting. So, <laughs> yes, it would. So, yeah, probably nothing on the market for them, I don't imagine, is there? That's what I'm thinking. We can kind of hit that up and try it, you know. Mm-hmm. Instead of a Bigfoot call, I'd be good to go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would. Well, um, but, you know, in your grunt call, now tell us kind of how that got going. Was that what Brent Woods had some play in that? some involvement with you and i know you developed it and 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 made the call and you you make some custom ones as well don't you yes yes uh grant got with us with growing deer tv and wanted to design a grunt call and we were looking for a realistic sounding grunt call of a two and a half year old buck because if you're if you're calling in deer like a lot of guys are weekend hunters and they don't care you know most guys ain't out there you know everybody wants to shoot a big buck you know but a lot of guys have the weekend to hunt and they want to be able to call in a deer and harvest a deer, you know, whether it be a 120 inch deer or 140 inch deer, or 110 inch deer. So, and does for that matter. So us and Grant, we and Grant started working together and uh, he was like, he was sending me all the deer sound files of deers grunting. And, you know, we were going through about a year and a half and I built several prototypes and, uh, send them to grant he'd try him he'd be like no this is what it's missing this is what we need to do so i'd send him back you know he'd send him back and i'd go through it and i mean we went through a bunch of different grunt calls and we finally hit on one which we call the messenger which is a uh, adjustable grunt call you can do a doe grunt a two and a half year old buck grunt or a uh, like an older buck which would be like a three and a half year old buck grunt but uh it went really well it was a a great call it was short and compact fit in your shirt pocket stuff like that it wasn't an overbearing you know a lot of guys in the market today with grunt calls they want to you know back history man they want to do a buck roar they want to be the deepest biggest meanest buck out there well if that's what you're targeting is big mature bucks on your farm that's you know getting away with using that call is awesome but 90 percent of the people out there are just wanting to hunt deer and call in deer and that's where the messenger comes in so good because if you set it at a two and a half year old buck and you're grunting, a younger buck or a two and a half year old buck will come in to challenge at, and a dominant buck, which is not scared of a two and a half year old deer, will come in to challenge at also. So in turn, you're calling in more deer. Now, if you're specifically targeting a certain deer, you may be calling in a bunch of deer that you don't want to harvest, but for the, you know, another guy that just wants to fill his freezer. You're calling in deer and actually harvesting deer using a grunt call. So it worked out great. We had a lot of practice and, you know, we were down there doing a lot of test studies on distance and sound. And uh, we probably overanalyzed the deer grunter way too much for any normal person in the world. But (laughs) it it definitely paid off because, I mean, we've grunted in some great deer with it over the, you know, last few years and uh, had a lot of success stories. Guys calling us in saying, hey, grunted in my first deer ever with it you know i've had a lot of guys come in and say hey i grunted in a bunch of does and harvested a bunch of does and i'm like hey that's that's what it's about right there so it's been a win-win now my custom ones this year i've changed up a little bit and i made my bottom barrel a little bit longer and i'm actually drilling a hole in the side of it and i'm doing a snort wheeze with it also so not only do you got the same grunt call but now you can also snort wheeze on the side of it in case that situation arises now what so, what material what material will you make the, those out of? What type of wood would will you use? You know, on the grunt calls, I like a harder wood, just for the fact that we found out with the grunt calls that the harder the wood, the better the sound resonates. So I don't want to do a soft wood or anything like that. So I like to stick with the Osages, 
the uh, hickories, any of the hard stuff like the desert ironwood, stabilized wood works real good. Uh, I, I prefer my call that I hunt with all the time is an acrylic. And I like the acrylic just because it's a real snappy call and it, and it just carries well in the woods. So I put a counterbalance on the reed itself to weight that reed a little bit. So actually when a deer grunts, it's a segmented series of vocalizations. Mm -hmm. So that reed actually slows it down to get the realistic sound of a deer grunt. So it's not too fast, not too slow. It's just, just right in there. So I like the harder woods though, for sure. That or the acrylics. Now I would, I, you know, you all kind of chronicled that, uh, your research and going out in the woods and calling it and going and making another one. And, you know, I think Grant put that on, uh, some of his video series, but uh, I would dare to say that couldn't have been a, a grunt call that more time and research and efforts been put into over a longer <laughs> period of time than that one, wouldn't you say? I mean, you didn't just throw a call out there in a couple of days and say, let's see what it does. I mean, there's, a lot of time was expended on that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the thing, too, that was uh, interesting on it, you could take a six-and-a-half-year-old buck and listen to him grunt, and he would have a high-pitched grunt. And then you could also take that same deer when he was chasing a doe or trying to tend a doe, and he'd have a deeper grunt. So, I mean, deer can change their vocalization up as as they go. So that was one of the theories we had to work at and look at. And Oh, yeah, we definitely put way more time in it probably than any other grunt. A lot of people work on the mechanics and stuff like that and getting it to work. We actually just – everything in my world is about sound. I don't care if it look. I don't care if you take popsicle sticks and glue them together, as long as it's spitting feathers or sounding like what it's supposed to sound like. That's that's my goal right there. Sounds first, pretty second. Let's talk a little turkey. And you just spent last uh, part of this week in down in South Florida. How, that started your season off, obviously. And tell us how it went. Is that your first time in Florida? And kind of give us a rundown. Yep, first time in Florida. Actually, it's a trip was two years in the making we had it set up for last year and then COVID hit and you know how that went everything went sideways so we had to cancel went down this year it, it was a great time uh first couple days of weather they were having a cold snap and it was 50 degrees i didn't even <laughs> feel sorry for them at all yeah. uh, i'm like trust me you're but the birds quit gobbling you know they wasn't really doing a whole lot as the weather warmed up i flew in on sunday Monday it was still cloudy and overcast, misty, rainy. Birds weren't gobbling. As the weather started to warm and started to clear a little bit, birds started getting a little more vocal. Uh, and they gobbled good the last couple of days we were there. I mean, I managed to kill a couple birds, called them in. They came in quiet. They come into the decoys. They were strutting, doing their thing, but they never made a peep. And uh, credit that to the landowner that had been doing the scouting. He's like, man, I've been seeing a few birds in this area. I know they're here. I don't know exactly where they're at, but I know they're working this area. So we just set up and would call in the area for an hour or so, hour and a half. If nothing, we'd move around a little bit and just, you know, we just kept slowly, methodically working that area until we actually got in on some hens, got the hens excited. They came in and did a little bit of fighting purring and stuff like that on the decoys. And, you know, anytime you get live hens in there making noise and cranking up, that's just helping your cause. And about 20 minutes later, then two gobblers come strutting in, and they'd probably just been following them hens around most of the day, just feeding and going. So they come in, you know, strutting and doing their thing, and but they never said a word or anything. they just quiet as could be, but, hey, that's part of turkey hunting. Some days you get them gobbling, some days you don't. That's right. What's the rest of your hunting season look like for you, James? Do you have a lot of other things lined up? Well, we, we're going to hit uh, Kansas on their opener coming up, I think we're going to head up that way on the 14th. And if we can knock out a couple birds there, I'm taking Cody and Carter's both going and everything. So if we can kill some birds there, then we're going to jump up to Nebraska when it opens up and uh, try to hit Nebraska for a couple of days and be back to Missouri for opener. And then from there, I'm going to try to sneak into Kentucky a little bit if see how the season's going and stuff like that. I, I can hunt way more than I need to, so... I finally get told by the wife it's time to, you know, about Mother's Day, she starts getting a little impatient with the hunting because <laughs> with, with the call building, it starts in, you know, I start building calls the day after deer season. So I've been going strong all the way till Mother's Day. And she's like, you know what? I'm about done with that. I said, <laughs> and by that time, I'm tired too. I'm like, all right, I'm good with this. So say yes, yes ma'am. <laughs> yep. It's, it's the best way. I've been married 28 years. I know how to, I know my role. I'm good. <laughs> 
You know, I tell you what, that right. Kentucky deer hunting, squirrel hunting, turkey, any kind of hunting, it's just some beautiful hills over there. I guess a lot of depend on the country in, especially that western Kentucky side. You get some, just make, especially right. in the fall with all the, the trees and the woods, you have so much more there sometimes than you do in the Midwest. This makes for some, some pretty hunting out there. But take us to first day or open, opening day and, uh, how do you typically like to locate the birds? And talk about that when you kind of roost one in the evening to just locating them in the morning, depending on, you know, what's going on in the world where it allows you to do that or not do that. Right. Well, usually, you know, I'm, you probably hear a ton of people talk about this, and this is a newer thing to a lot of people. But if I'm going to, especially if I'm going to new areas that I've never hunted before, like Florida, hadn't been on that ground before, you know, first thing you got to look at your terrain. Florida was flat as a pancake, so you had to really look at, uh, you know, your if you're going into a spot like that, like I had to, I had to really look at the terrain. I didn't know where the birds were going to be at, so, I mean, you had to really watch. It was so open down there in spots that if you got caught out and they were gobbling on the limb and it started breaking daylight, you were stuck. So then you had to just kind of sit there and wait it out till they hit the ground before you could ever move on them. So I really try to look at the terrain as far as that. I use Onyx a lot because I hunt in a lot of places. And if I can check a topo map, at least I can kind of get an idea of the, of the ground before I get there and kind of get an idea of, okay, he's gobbling here. I'm going to do my best guess to see where he's going to go once he gets off that limb and goes from there. But, you know, evening time i like to try to go out and roost i don't want to spook a bird though uh so i kind of do it from a distance use my binoculars uh if i am going to roost i just i wait till right at dark when i know the birds are up and then i'll hit them with some owl hoots hit them with an owl scream or i'll hit them with a coyote owl something just to get that bird to gobble and go from there if i don't hear nothing i don't worry about it i don't get in there and try to get tighter or get real aggressive with it if he hits great if he doesn't I'll wait till in the morning. Get in the morning, same thing. I'll start a little bit before daylight. I want to wake that bird up a little bit, so I'll hit him with the owl scream. You know, I'll get out there and he'll be set. He'll be just cracking daylight. The whippoorwills are still doing their thing, and just hit that scream. And he may it may be ten minutes before goblin light, but I just want him to hear that and be like, "Oh, that was terrible." <laughs> you know, I want him to wake up and be like, "Okay, it's time." Then from there, I'll grab the owl hooter and start. And I, I always start off any of my calling, whether it be locating or turkeys, I start off slow and build. You can always start off slow and quiet and build from there. But if you start off wide open, it's hard to bring that back in. And a lot of public ground we hunt and stuff, those birds get hammered all the time by every sound imaginable. So I try to keep it as realistic and close to Mother Nature as possible. So I may just get out there in the morning, you know, after I hit the owl scream, I'll just. And I may do that just a couple times just to wait, see what happens. As the morning gets along, if he hasn't gobbled, I'll get a little more aggressive with him out. Listen for him. If he hasn't gobbled it, I'll probably hit the screamer again. Pick it. Hit him like that. Some mornings he may not gobble at all. You know how birds are. You get certain days they'll gobble their brains out. Other days they ain't going to say a word. If that, you know, that's my goal. Hit him with the owl hooter. He gobbles, and I'll go from there on the setup. I use a crow call a lot early morning because I, Florida, I didn't hear it, but in Missouri, I hear the crows. I mean, first light, you'll hear them crows calling. So don't be scared if you're in an area. Grab a crow call up first thing. I just started off like that. A lot of times they'll gobble at that. Actually, Cody, my son, was in Potosi this morning. They were going trout fishing, and they stopped in at the. Uh, bearman down there to listen for turkeys and uh he said he owl hooted he screamed he did everything he said nothing he said hit a crow call they gobbled like crazy so just goes to show you the more locator calls you got the better off you're going to be from there yeah. try not to use a coyote howler in the mornings a lot just because 
the turkeys that are close to you, they don't want to gobble at that anyway because that's they don't want to be breakfast. If you're wanting to wreck your buddy's hunt, that's a perfect thing to do. But uh, long distance howling works great if you're in an area, Kansas, Nebraska, where you're really wanting to reach out there and hit them. And northern Missouri places like that, I'll hit a coyote howl. But just forewarned, coyote howlers, you know, they're turkeys start gobbling. They they all know the game. They know what's happening. Mm. So. I try to refrain from that, <laughs> but, no. but yeah, locator calls are my go-to. And, uh, you know, once I get a bird goblin, I try to ease in there, set up on him. Try, I try to get as close as possible. You know, that uh, the foliage and the terrain allows me. that may be 150 yards. It may be 70 yards. It may be 200 yards. So that's, that's my best. You know, everybody's like, well, how close do you get to him? Well, there's no set stone rule, you know, no rule how to close to get. You just got to play the train and see how the birds are acting and do the best you can. If it's breaking daylight, my pet peeve is if it's breaking daylight and you're in a field and you're wanting to cross that field and that bird's already gobbling, don't walk across that field. That drives me crazy. I see I see so many guys make that mistake and then the birds, because there's other birds just besides that gobbler that's roosted around there. And if you spook a bunch of hens – or if a bunch of turkeys see you walk across that field, even though he's gobbling and all them hens seen you and they don't bust out of the tree and they fly down and go the other way, where do you think he's going to go? He's going to go the other way too. So I try to sneak into all my hunting spots just like I would my deer spots. I, do not, I don't want to be heard nor seen. If I can use creek beds, low ditches, I mean, or I get in there way early. So I don't mind getting in there at four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock, depending on how far we got to walk just to, you know, a little extra effort in the morning makes a big difference throughout the day. <laughs> so now, now once you get them located and you know where they are, what's, what's your set up from there? Uh, you just try to get as close as you can, nothing without, without spooking them obviously. And then uh, do you call to them while they're on the roost? Uh, take us through that. Yeah, usually I'll get up, set up. I'll let them gobble a little bit as it's getting a little more daylight. I kind of hold back a little bit on the yelping until I see if they've got other hens and stuff with them. But I do hit them with some soft tree yelps. And uh, if he gobbles at me, then I, I just stop tree yelping. That's, he's, he knows I'm there. He's good. One thing I do carry that a lot of guys, I, I tell a lot of guys, I carry an actual turkey wing because if you're hunting public ground and places like that, one thing, and I tell people, one thing a turkey has to do is he has to fly up in a tree and fly out of the tree. So if you've got a turkey wing with you and you're not real good at, let's say you're doing a fly-down cackle or something like that, uh, if you grab that turkey wing and you hit that wing and pop, 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 pop all the way down, that turkey, that's a sound that that turkey hears all the time, and he's comfortable with that sound. He knows that's a real turkey. So that's what I do. I'll tree yelp at him if he gobbles at me. I'll get a little excited on the limb, then I'll wait a little bit, and then I'll hit the wings coming down, let him know that I'm on the ground. And then I'll usually just be quiet for a bit after that because most of them hens, when they fly down, they get on the ground, they ruffle their feathers, shake off, preen a little bit, do their thing. So I kind of do that and let him hit the ground. Now, once I know he's on the ground, then I'll crank it up a little bit. I'll get a little more excited with him, then yelp him a little bit, try to uh, entice him a little more, let him know that, hey, I'm – I don't, you know, I just like the locator call. I start off slow and build it from there. I don't want to start too fast and spook that bird because, you know, by the public ground and stuff we hunt, them birds hear some, they hear some crazy stuff. So I try to keep it as realistic as a true hen as possible. So, you know, if I hit the ground and he's still gobbling and the leaves are dry and stuff, I'll scratch in the leaves like that old hen speeding a little bit and stuff like that just to give him that added realism. I try to, Man, I, I am really, I'm a turkey caller, so I love to call and I love to hear turkeys gobble. But when I'm hunting, I'm as methodical and as close to a real hen as I can be because I want to, my, my ultimate goal if we're out there hunting is to, you know, I want to kill that turkey. So that's, I, I almost, everybody, my term is I try to coyote, man. I try to be as, as stealthy and sneaky as a coyote. So <laughs> when they come in, they're surprised. <laughs> now, now, when he hits that, he hits the ground himself. What are you look? What are you looking for there? What do you What do you try to do to keep him interested and get him to c come in your way? You want if you want to hear some of this stuff, I'll break out no call. Hey, yes, sir. <laughs> this one's <laughs> ragged. I've been chewing on this one forever. Uh, I usually just 
just hit him with some basic soft yelps and clucks like that, maybe throwing a purr. Now, if he gobbles at me good and uh, he cuts me off and stuff like that, a lot of times I'll go quiet and just let him kind of do his thing and let him work on it. If I know he's got other hens with him, I don't call to him as much as I call to the hens because I want to get that lead hen or that hen that's with him because a lot of times, you know, you'll get on those hens pretty good and they'll lead that gobbler away from because they don't want the competition like that. And then in mother nature, the hens go to the gobbler. So they're expecting you to come to them anyway. So I try to just work on those hens, cluck and purr, make it sound like, man, I've got something over here way better than what you guys got and just try to get those hens going. And uh, if I get a dominant hen that she kind of cuts me off and starts cutting back at me, then I'll get a little more aggressive with that call and just hit her with a little bit more of that to try to get that. And because if he's got hens with him, he's going to follow those hens. So your goal at that point is just to turn and try to work those hens into you. And let's be realistic. 65, 70% of the time birds right off the roost hit the ground and they do their thing. And a lot of guys get impatient and that's where I think Turkey and gets, they kind of mess it up because they get too impatient on them birds. They're just doing their thing. They probably want to drink a water, been up there all night and had nothing to drink. So I try to let them do their thing and follow them, you know, and just if he starts working off the hill, I just go quiet and I'll give him a little bit. And if I know he's still gobbling, going down with them hens, I may just, I might be in the wrong spot. I might have a bad setup spot and I have to just circle around him and get in front of him. So I try to be, I'm pretty aggressive when it comes to him. I like to get, get in front of him and get where they're going. So I, I call to them, but I don't overcall to them and commit to a spot too fast. So I work it from there. And then a lot of times a bird will hit the ground and he, he may just go quiet. If he goes quiet, I'm going to give that bird, you know, I say as long as he needs, I'm definitely giving him 30, 45 minutes and I'm going to wait him out and see what he does. And it may be that he works off the ridge and gobbles 200 yards away from me. If that's the case, I'm good with that because I know I didn't spook him or nothing's wrong. That bird's still killable. So as long as you don't bump him and spook him, you're, you're, you're still in the game. You're still hunting. So if he gets out there at 60, 70 yards and hangs up on me, like a lot of guys, you know, they'll say, man, that bird came in at 70 yards and he yeah. just stopped. Happens to all of us. I just go quiet. I let him. Curiosity killed the cat with turkeys. They can't stand. They know that hen was there. A lot of times I'll turn my back to him and yelp like I'm going away. And I'll just get quiet for a while and let him think it. And a lot of times that'll work. He'll come in, checking out. He may come in quiet like them two birds in Florida did. They came in quiet as can be. But he's going to come in and look around and see, hey, where's that hen at? Where did I hear Where did I hear her at? And stuff like that. So I kind of, you know, I turkeys don't wear wristwatches. They don't have their iPhones <laughs> out. They don't have to go to work at 10 o'clock in the morning. They're on their time. So their goal in life is to eat bugs, you know, make baby turkeys and not get ate by coyotes and bobcats, stuff like that. <laughs> so I try to not put a time frame on any, any of the hunts because turkeys are just being turkeys. You know, they just do their thing. And I think as hunters, and I'm guilty of it too, in this, in this world, everything's instantaneous. If you can't figure out an answer, you go to Google. Well, I haven't Googled the answer on how to kill a turkey correctly yet, so... It's just, you just got to take your time on them. And that's the biggest thing. Be patient. And as I get older, I'm getting better at the patient part. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, you know, what? that big hill right there, I'd rather just sit here and wait on it. <laughs> now, now you mentioned like if he's going down the ridge away from you and he's about 200 yards away and you know, you hadn't spooked him or anything in that case, do you, how long do you stay there before you decide, well, I am going to go try to make a move on him and, or do you, and how do you do it if you do? Well, you know, a lot of that determines if, if you've got other birds in the area gobbling and, uh, you know, they were gobbling at your original setup, you might want to hang out right there and just wait on one of them birds. If that's the bird that I'm hunting and I hear him go off the ridge, I'm immediately jumping up and getting my game plan and I'm going to circle Now, that being said, if I know the ground, I'll know where I'm going. So I'll slip around and kind of get to where I think he's going to go to. If I don't know the ground, once again, I'll pull up a topo, kind of look and see where he's working at and see what he's going to. And I'll try to find the best way around him. Biggest thing is 
a lot of a lot of it's your terrain. You know, I carry a set of binoculars with me. If it's open ground, I'm constantly using them. If it's timber ground, I'm using them, but I'm using the terrain more to my advantage. I'm breaking off hills, getting on the backside of ridges, trying to circle them birch around. If it's open ground, you know, I'm looking for fence rows, ditches, anything that I can get in that'll let me get past him without him without him or the hen seeing. Me. So don't be scared to swing a wide circle and get around a bird because you can't, you know, the end games just don't spook them. So that's the way I look at it. From a standpoint of hunting, like an open area or a field, what tactics do you use there? And what do you prefer more? Would you rather be in the, in the woods? or always something about being in the woods to me that I enjoy, but you enjoy that more than the uh, an open field? or And then what is your tactic if you are on one? Well, open field, if I'm, if I'm hunting open field, I like to run a few decoys, especially early season. Early season, I like to get that half-strut Jake out there with a hen in front and stuff like that, just to give them birds some visual ground. Florida was a great example, you know, on them fire cuts and stuff like that. Them birds could see three, 400 yards down a fire cut lane. So if you had a decoy, that was just helping you out there because them birds could see something visual and come in on it. Uh, timber hunting. I hardly ever run a decoy. I'm pretty much setting up on birds where when they come into view and they're in, in view, they're in range already. So as soon as that old head pops up and he starts periscoping looking for that hen, I can go ahead and take him at any time from there. But, you know, both of them are great. You know, if I'm hunting with kids, I think a field setup's a lot better because if they, especially with Cody and Carter, they could see the birds coming a lot farther off and I, it would give them enough time to settle down a little bit before the birds actually got in on them. And the birds were focused on the decoys instead of focused on, you know, let's say the hunter in the woods, where a lot of times if you're hunting them timber birds, that old bird will come up 50, 60 yards and he'll slip into 40 and he'll pop his head up and look around for a hen. And if he doesn't see her, he's gone. So putting kids in that situation is kind of rough because they're not advanced enough to look for the little signs that I'm looking for and I want the kid, you know, I want them to have as much time as possible. So I definitely like a great field hunt. I mean, it's it's awesome to watch them birds come in two, three hundred yards, strutting and gobbling all the way, and just getting to watch the birds. And uh, but I'm I'm like you, if it's a good hardwood ridge and he gobbles on it, it's it's phenomenal. <laughs> yes, it is. Now you said you use a half strut Jake and and a hen. Is the hen you get like a lay down hen? Is that your preference, or does it matter? No, I run a feeder hen. And the reason I don't run the laydown hen is a lot of times the grass is tall enough that they can't see it anyway, yeah. and, or they will see it once they get up on it. But I want them to see that hen. And usually I put the feeder hen closest to me. I put the, you know, or to the side of me, I put the Jake where I my shot's going to be. Because 99% of the time that gobbler's going to go to that Jake decoy first and not even pay attention to that hen decoy. So, And I like the feeding hen because that's a calm hen there's no if, if that gobbler sees her in a feeding position or feeding posture just feeding he doesn't think nothing's up he just like okay she's feeding ignoring that jake that jake's over there doing his thing so i'm going to come in and get on that jake and show him who's dominant so that's my setup i've used this i've used the lay down hens before and they work good if you just tuck her right up underneath the you know the hat three-quarter jake but a lot of times like already this year around the house the grass is getting tall enough by season it's going to be knee high, so that's that's going to be out of the question. How does your hunting techniques, strategies, tactics, or what have you, change throughout the day? You know, from the from the morning to when you come off the roost to the midday to to the evening, if you're you know in a state that you can do that. What do you do differently during the different portions of the day? Uh, morning time, I'm more of a run and gun, I guess, in the morning time. Uh, afternoon, I'm still covering a lot of ground, looking for those. A lot of times those old gobblers that had hens with them in the morning, they broke off from them hens. So from like 10 o'clock on to 12 is a great time to pick up a solo gobbler and get him gobbling and, you know, and killing, call him and killing. Evening time, I'm going to concentrate more on the areas that I know he's roosted at and passed and kind of get in there on him and set up and more or less wait for him. If You know, like in Florida, we had a couple of evening hunts there and we were just going to the roost areas and just kind of setting up and kind of doing our thing there. And evening hunting, the only thing I can tell you is stay till dark, stay till after dark. When you get out of there, make sure it's dark and you ain't spooking no birds when you go out. So that's, but that's kind of my evening strategy. I'm more of a setup and 
worst case scenario in the evening in my book is if I hear him fly up or I hear him gobble, I know where he's at for the next morning, then I can plan far accordingly. So my evening hunt, I'm not trying to run around and, you know, find him because I know he's going to be working back to his roost area. So I just try to get to that roost area or that general area and set up and just call a little bit and wait and see what happens. A lot of times I've had him just come in gobble. You know, they'll hear a hen calling. They want to roost with that hen that night, and they'll come in there just gobbling their brains out, ready to go. So, I mean, it pays just to sit and be patient in the evening time like that. How about the different portions of the season, from early season to mid-season to the late season? Does anything change for you as far as how you approach? Uh, you know, as far as let's break it down to different areas. As far as decoying, early season, I'm running a three-quarter jake and a hen birds are you know they're dominant they're they're fighting and stuff like that they're wanting to uh you know get that pecking order in there so i'll run that jake decoy quite a bit once the actual breeding starts and the hens really you know the gobblers quit gobbling as much it's kind of like the rut once the rut hits with deer everybody's like man i switch over i don't deer grunt during the rut when they're actually breeding and on lockdown i don't bleed because another buck ain't wanting attention on his does but all bucks are looking for a receptive doe same way with the turkey end of it i don't run a jake decoy i just run that hindi decoy because if a subordinate two-year-old's cruising around and he sees a lone hen feeding he's way more apt to come check her out than he is if he sees a jake decoy with it or something like that so as once they uh, start breeding breeding and i know they're breeding good then i just go straight to a hen decoy as far as calling early season i'll get a little more aggressive with them i know the birds are coming in i'll do some jake gobbles and jake yelps and try to entice a fight if they're not you know if they're not interested in the hens i'll try to entice entice a fight get them gobblers to come in looking for a fight and stuff like that as the season goes on and uh that's kind of settled down i do a lot more submissive you know clucking and purring feeding calls soft yelps a little more with the wing as far as scratching in the leaves and uh, stuff like that, especially on public ground where guys have been really hitting them a lot. I go real, I say conservative on the calling. I don't really go conservative. I just go ultra realistic, but like that. If I can do a lot of scratching and a couple soft clucks and yelps, that gobbler's still going to, that gobbler's still going to find you. So that's the way I look at it. Well, just got a couple more questions for you, James. And uh... I'm good. One of them, t tell us what you put in your turkey vest. Uh, what, what what do you carry with you? <laughs> if it's yeah, white ground, I put a lot with me. But if it's hilly ground, like western Kentucky, I'm, I'm down to bare minimum. But uh, I always got my owl hooter. I uh, got my crow call. I always have a pack full of mouth calls, a wing bone. Uh, I still run a glass call or a slate call. And uh, I always got my turkey wing with me. And then just basically, I'll you know a little bit of bug spray, some some toilet paper, granola bar. You know the necessities <laughs> for a fat guy. I need I need substance because uh, if they ain't gobbling, I'm dang sure gonna eat me a granola bar and have me a have me a soda or something. Sit there and wait them out. Yeah. So I take the basic stuff. I don't get nothing crazy. I still use a lot of I still hunt a lot of turkeys with wing bones, especially in the public ground stuff like that. Uh, I don't run a tube call often. I'm, I'm I can make noise on a tube call, but I'm, I wouldn't say I'm great at it. But if, if you're hunting a lot of ground uh, and you can run a tube call, I'd say try it because that different hen yelp sound, you know, can make a difference on killing birds. So if I'm in an area that I know guys are running box calls and slate calls a lot, I'll switch over and run my mouth calls and a wing bone a lot. So I just try to, I want to be that hen that sounds just a little bit different that catches their curiosity. So variety is the key. I got just a few quick questions for you, but Chad, you have any uh, remaining questions for James in turkey hunting in general? For we jump no, in the old folks. I, I picked here? up some. I picked up some pointers, which I always, I always struggle with patience. That's my biggest thing. <laughs> uh, you know, but you are one hundred percent right on that because there's been a lot of times if I if I'd have known, I'd just sit there. They'd been there, but I, I struggle with that. That's that's probably my biggest weakness when I turkey hunt is. I just, I just gotta, I, I gotta tell myself over and over again, sit there, just wait, just wait, just wait. A lot of times if I do that, I'll kill a turkey, but most generally I'm up and gone on to the next one. And you know, that, that happens with when you're busy at work and 
you know, I'll be sitting, I was in Florida the whole time and my Facebook page was lighting up nonstop with guys wanting to buy out Hooters, guys wanting to buy, you know, and your, your mind, you're thinking work all the time and this mm-hmm. and that. And it's hard to just turn everything off and be like, all right, I just need to sit here and relax a little bit and go that route. But I mean, I heard you guys as a podcast the other day with Josh and, uh, he's a great guy and, uh, he's, he, he knows how to call turkeys in too. So, I mean, oh, yeah. that, that was a good one. Yeah, he's, uh, I've known Josh for, I guess, 20 years, 21 years. I always like going with him because then I don't have to call and look and sound terrible. <laughs> uh, I know Josh, he likes to call because that's how I am too. I'm like, yeah. I'll, I'll be like, I call all the time. I don't even care if I shoot one. I just want to go be calling, you know, make yeah, it noise. He's good at it for sure. That's yeah. It. Did that turn out to be your grunt call that he crushed in the door? Did you know James? Yeah, yeah, I, call, I called him on it. I said, dude, did you smash my grunt call? He goes, yeah, that was yours. <laughs> I <laughs> told him, a- I said, well, I'll get you another one. He goes, man, I babied that thing. I used it all the time. He said, dude, it's it's in a million pieces. He said, I was heartbroken. I said, well, luckily I know the guy, so I'll get you another one. <laughs> <laughs> well, good deal. What a coincidence. Yeah, that's. but when I heard that on that podcast, I was like, I bet you that was my grunt call he smashed. <laughs> Well, I got uh, about five just kind of quick questions, kind of one-answered questions, if you don't mind uh, doing a few of those. Is that okay? All right. Uh, what is one thing that you look forward to the most as it relates to turkey season? Uh, I think just being with all the people, you know, as far as everybody likes to hunt, but uh, I like just the camaraderie and hanging out with everybody. What's your weapon of choice? Remington 870-20 gauge, I mean 12 gauge, I'm sorry, uh, Won it in 1990 at the Grand Nationals. I still pack it to this day. <laughs> I got nickname, one. Nickname the Howitzer. There you go. <laughs> what is one thing in your hunting arsenal that you just can't live without? Uh, I would have to say my mouth calls. I just, I got to have, I got to have them. When you think about turkey hunting success, who is the first person that you immediately think of and why? Uh, you know, I, I would have to think of the first person would be Ray I. He's from Hillsboro, Missouri, right here with me. And uh, when I started calling, I had a Ray I. Tom Stucky tape, and that's uh, who I fashioned <laughs> my calling after. Of that shows my age, doesn't it? And the fact <laughs> well, that I called Stucky the other day on the phone. No, was Yeah, he's a character. Oh, I know, and and Ray's the same way. I mean, I actually went to school with Ray's younger brother. And it wasn't until I got into high school that I was like, Ray I, who's Ray I? And then I found out who Ray I was. I was like, holy cow. And then I knew his mom and dad real good and everything. So, yeah, Ray's, Ray's I don't tell him if you ever talk to him, but I, I kind of like old Ray. <laughs> and lastly, if you had three songs on a musical playlist, what would they be? Three songs. Uh, my first one of my all time, I call him like my burial song, would be Simple Man by Leonard Skinner. <laughs> That's uh, a good one. John Denver's Country Boy. I think I'm a country boy. And then uh, last one, you could do anything. I, I'm anywhere from uh, heavy metal all the way to Hank Williams Jr. to Kid Rock. So, I mean, I'm wide open. But those those two are my, my two. I guess I guess Country Boy Can't Survive would be the next one because yeah. I just roll with everything. I don't pay no much attention, just kind of do my thing. Pretty darn good. You know, we, we always enjoy that question because we get different answers and you're right in line with what Shed likes. So that's, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> we get some off answers every now and then. And we're yeah, like, stuff we, okay. stuff we've never even heard of, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, well that's, I, I listened about, you know, I've been in machine shops and stuff my whole life. So we listen to the radio cause that's what we got. So I've listened to anything from 1930 swing all the way up <laughs> to the new stuff. So, I mean, I've got a vast array of music, but I still go back to the simple stuff. It's easier. What, uh, lastly, what, if you're going to, folks, uh, not everybody's been fortunate to start in Florida like you. Some people, you know, especially in Missouri, just hunt Missouri and that's it. All those waiting on that opening day to start their seasons, what, uh, what advice would you want to give somebody? Oh, best advice I can give everybody, scout, scout, scout. The more you know, the better off you're going to be. And uh, scouting is the key. I mean, I tell people this all the time. I was like, if you guys spend as much time getting your deer your turkey stuff ready as you do your deer stuff we wouldn't have turkeys in missouri would already get them all killed <laughs> and that's that's the key really i mean practicing your calls is one thing understanding your turkeys is is another is one thing but uh scouting just there's no you, there's no substitute for knowing what your birds are doing and where your birds are at and uh 
It is the key to the puzzle right there. The more you can scout and put put boots on the ground and time and time into it, the better off you're going to be every time. Where can the listeners connect with you and check out uh, your calls? If they want to order some, what's the best place uh, for them to find that? Oh, uh, my one place, I'm a, I'm a social media icon here. My one spot <laughs> is on Facebook and it's just Harrison custom calls. That is it. So, uh, that's my, my one and only spot. I guess, uh, my, my email would be alfacejames at AOL. That is the simple, I'm, that is the single best, uh, email address I've ever heard. Say it again. Alfacejames at AOL.com. <laughs> that is great. That's a good one. Hey, give us yeah. give us the old I hoot you did earlier. You know, if my wife was here listening to I hoot, you, you did with your voice earlier. She, what sound is that? I mean, to me, that's like I'm listening to a symphony. That's the best sound. When you did it, what a go! I want to say, do it ten more times. You know, it's just the <laughs> most beautiful sound to hear that. Would you mind to do it one more time? Yeah, you want to hear some hooting? Yes, sir. Hey, music to my ears. James, thank you. It's been a pleasure visiting with you. Like I said, I've been looking forward to this uh, for a long time to get a chance to talk to you, and I think we could probably spend three or four hours with you and just kind of hit the, the tip of the iceberg of it. And as I mentioned earlier, just a fine, fine gentleman. You, you have a lot of knowledge, a lot of skill, but you take time to share that with people, and I uh, greatly appreciate it. You've been very gracious with me over the course of time, and I need to throw a little something out there to Aaron Cornman because that, that also tells what a good guy you are. To even be around him just for, you know, 15 seconds, that says a heck of a lot about you as a man, and you spend some time with him. So, uh, yeah, you are yep. a heck of a guy to, to hang around Aaron Corman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, he's, he's full of it, i tell you that. <laughs> he, that he is, that he no, is. He's, he's a great guy, and, uh, you know, everybody, we all get along good and stuff like that, so it's, it's really good, and uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. I told you, I said, man, you guys must be at the bottom of your list if you're calling <laughs> me up. I said, holy cow, you guys are in trouble, but I mean, any, you know, if any guys were looking for calls or anything and just want to talk or ask questions, man, hit me up. It's, it's, we're all in this together. You know, that's why I look at it. We all enjoy the outdoors. We all spend time together. If I can help anybody in any little way, I feel like that's, you know, my, a lot of people are born with amazing talents and gifts and mine was making animal noises. So I use that to my <laughs> full advantage to help people. You know, I mean, turkey calling and out hooting through the world and, you know, through my world is, opened so many doors and met so many amazing people like you guys that I would not normally get to meet. And, uh, that's been my blessing on my end. It's, uh, I've been really blessed to have that, have that chance to do all the cool stuff that we get to do. And that, that's, that's, that's awesome in my world. I really, I really am humbled by it and just, you know, I, I appreciate every bit of it, you know, every little bit. It's, I don't take nothing for granted because the world, your life's short and, you should live it every day happy and enjoy it. And uh, and one thing I know, I, I want to make sure that I make the most of it. Well, James, I sure appreciate that. I'm going to stay after you. I was looking at my grunt calls yesterday. I got nine grunt calls, and I need ten. The one you talked about that you're doing, extend the barrel with the snort wheeze. Yeah. Be texting you and uh, whatever I need to do to get that sucker. But don't don't forget me. <laughs> no, I'll get you taken care of. I actually, uh, I used it this year. I, I had a nice buck come in, and he was, he was chasing off little bucks and uh. I was grunting at him left and right, and he wasn't listening to that grunt call. I actually snort wheezed him, and, uh, man, he turned inside out, and he ran right in on top, and he let out a buck roar, you know, everybody's always talking oh, about yeah. it. And, uh, he was, and if it wouldn't have been for the snort wheeze on it, I wouldn't have killed him. But then I tried it again the next day on a smaller buck and messing with him, and uh, he took, he was gone so fast his head spun. <laughs> so it works when it's in a certain situation, yes, but, I mean, you know, you know, how it is oh yeah different ages different personalities they all react differently but uh yep you just need her to work one time hey that was it and uh he came in did his thing and i had to do my thing so we got it <laughs> done though but uh it was, it was good well james have a great weekend good luck turkey season and love to have you back on here at some point hey yeah you guys have a great season and uh stay safe that's the main thing and uh uh, God bless y'all, and just keep me posted on how everything goes. And if you need anything, give me a holler. Will do. We'll Same do to you, man. James. All right. Shed, Thank you, guys. Have a good weekend, sir. All right. You too now. All see right. you guys. We'll see you, James. Shed, have a good uh, weekend yourself.
You too. All right. You're looking good, Shed. You're looking fit. Shed's been working out lately, James. Trying. Oh. Hey, I need to start working out too. That's my problem. <laughs> I did real good until COVID hit, and then I went to uh, building calls and getting lazy, and now I need to start back again. <laughs> you get to climbing them hills and coming out of them hollers, you, you'll, you'll get back going. Yeah, yeah, I say that, but I think I'm going so slow that I'm not burning no calories. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, guys. Hey, thank you again, James. Shea, we'll talk to hey. you. Yeah, we'll see you. All right, we'll see you. See you, guys. See you, James. Thank you for spending time today with Shed and I and our guest, Mr. James Harrison of Harrison Custom Calls. James is a world champion turkey and owl hooting champion and is widely recognized as a champion call maker as well. You can see James's content and his custom calls at Harrison Custom Calls on Facebook, and James can also be reached at his email address of alfacejames at aol.com. Also, please assist us by liking and rating today's episode and by subscribing to the Foshi Creek Podcast. We are not a sponsored podcast, so the only way we are able to reach a broader audience is by word of mouth and the number of subscriptions, likes, and positive ratings that we receive. Please share our content on your social media platforms and with all your hunting and outdoor friends. Thank you again for listening, and as always, we learned everything we knew down on Foshi Creek.